Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, well, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome uh, once again to our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, we, of course, are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. We've already been here two weeks. We're going to be here tonight, and fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we'll be here again uh, next week. I just could not quite get all the way all the way through it. So, uh, as you all know by now, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving us six examples of a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we've already gone through uh, four of those, and over the last two weeks, we started with the fifth illustration, and we'll continue that uh, tonight. Now, Jesus introduces this illustration in Matthew 5:38 and he says this You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now we dug into this a couple weeks ago and what we found was that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a fundamental principle of Old Testament civil law. Uh, today when we think of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth we tend to think about Revenge. We think almost that it's a license for revenge, but it was actually the exact opposite. Um, it was a merciful law that tried to make sure that the punishment fit the crime. Uh, in that day, I gave you some examples of these excessive acts of vengeance that one man would uh, carry out on another. And as I said, we still see that today, right? When we get hurt, we want to hurt more. It's not enough just to get justice. We want to make sure we hurt them more than they hurt us. This, that is what this law attempts to control or attempts to mitigate. It tries to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Now, the, the, the Pharisees, of course, as they always do, they messed it all up, right? They saw an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as their right to get back at someone. Uh, the easiest way to look at this is this. The, the Pharisees basically saw this law and, and, and would say something like this. You slap me, then I have a legal right to slap you back. That's, that's how they saw it, right? And Jesus, they, they missed other stuff. By the way, if you go back to the Old Testament, you look, for example, at Deuteronomy 32. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Or you look at Hosea 6.6 6, where God says, I desire mercy. See, the Pharisees missed all that. They didn't try to balance everything out. By the way, that's what legalists tend to do. Legalists tend to cherry-pick scriptures to do what they want it to do, and they leave everything else out. And that's what uh, Pharisees were at their heart, were a bunch of legalists. Now, at this point, Jesus says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, and his first statement is, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, as we said a couple weeks ago, you can misinterpret this and make a lot of mistakes. You, you can lead into a lot of error if you misinterpret this. You can uh, find yourself with a lot of contradictions with the rest of Scripture. So 
What does Jesus mean by don't resist the evil one? Well, we don't have to guess because he illustrates what he means or clarifies what he means by giving us four different illustrations. The first one, he said, as we looked at last week, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. The second illustration is if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. We'll look at that one tonight. The third illustration, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We'll look at that one tonight. And then the fourth illustration we'll put off till next week, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So these are four illustrations Jesus is using to clarify what he meant by do not resist an evil person. Now, last week we looked at the first illustration in verse 39. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And you remember what we said last week, if you were here, to slap a man on the right cheek, because 90% of the world, 90 plus percent of the world is right-handed, you have to backhand them. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying, because in that day, in that culture, to slap someone with the back of your hand was the most grievous insult that one man could uh, uh, inflict on another. When you slap somebody in that day, your intent wasn't to assault them. Your intent wasn't to attack them. Your intent wasn't even to hurt them. That was not, if you wanted to do those things, you hit them with a closed fist. But to slap them, and especially with the back of your hand, what you're trying to do is you're trying to demean them. You're trying to show contempt for them. That, that, is, that is the one way you could insult another man. So what then is Jesus teaching us with that example? What he's saying is this. When it comes to personal offenses, when somebody insults you personally or demeans you personally or shows contempt for you personally, walk away. Give up your right to retaliation. You see, according to the law, you could return slap for slap. But Jesus said, give up your right. That's, and, and in fact, the reason he said that is because that's what he modeled for us. First Peter tells us this, For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow. What was the example he left? When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to the God who judges justly. You see, this is what kingdom citizens do. Remember, folks, the Sermon on the Mount is about Christians. The Beatitudes is the character of a Christian. Everything in this sermon is to Christians. It's talking about what a Christian looks like in the kingdom of God. This is what kingdom citizens do. We forgo what is ours in order to love God and others more than ourselves. You see, the Pharisees thought They could, eye for an eye to them, meant, okay, slap for slap. That was their standard. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20? Except your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, they thought an eye for an eye meant slap for slap. I can slap you right back and I can lay my head down tonight and I'm a good man because I didn't break the law. See, that was their standard of righteousness. But guys, as Christians, our standard has to be higher. Our standard of righteousness, our, our idea of what is the right thing to do 
has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So here's the question as we leave our first illustration, and that is, what are you going to do with the left cheek? You see, the fact that somebody strikes you on the right cheek, that wasn't your choice. You didn't ask for that. You, you, had, you may have played no part in it. It doesn't reveal who you are. It doesn't reveal your character in any way because you got struck on the right cheek. But what you do with the left cheek, that's on you. That's your choice. How you respond to someone insulting you or, or, or demeaning you, that's up to you. And how you respond, you're going to respond like the world, just reflexively strike back. That's what normal people do, but not kingdom people, not Christians, not people who have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. They have a choice, and their choice is to turn the other cheek. And if you can do that, that can show who you really are. Okay, let's turn to illustration number two tonight. Verse 40, Jesus said this, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, I said last week that all four of these illustrations are culturally specific. Okay, In that culture, he, he was given, everybody there sitting on that mountainside that day would have understood what he was talking about because they were, you know, they, they were very specific examples from their um, culture. So he says to them, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, of course, 2,000 years have gone by. Certainly, we've changed uh, styles and, and we dress differently. So we need to kind of go back and think about this in that day. Now, in that day, uh, everybody wore what was called a tunic. And it was like a, it was like a long undershirt, looked something like that. And it was worn by both men and women. They're, they're, women would wear theirs usually down to about their ankles. Uh, men would mostly wear theirs to about their knees. But other than that, it was the exact same uh, garment. And in that day, people would typically own several uh, tunics. Now, unless you were super, super poor, you might only have one. But uh, most people would own several of these tunics, and they would change them out uh, day by day. The coat, however, or the cloak, the outside garment, was a different animal altogether. It was much thicker. It was much more expensive to have one. And people typically only had one coat. So they'd, they'd own multiple tunics, but they would only have one coat. And this coat that they had, or this cloak, was multi-purpose. Not only would you wear it on the outside as part of your garment, but at night it would turn into like a sleeping bag. That's actually what people would sleep in at night. You know, you didn't go back to your house and open your armoire or go into your walk-in closet. People didn't have that kind of stuff, right? They had very few clothing, and you usually had one coat, and at, and at night that coat would actually become your blanket or your sleeping bag that you, um, that you slept in. Now, you're probably wondering, would anybody ever really sue somebody else for the clothes that they have on their back? Well, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. In that day, if you owed a debt and you could not pay with money or other valuables, you could literally be sued for your clothes. If that's all you had, they could take your clothes off your back. But here's something that's really interesting. According to Mosaic law, they could not take your coat. They could sue you for your tunic, 
and they could take your tunic, but they could not take your coat. That was considered uh, inhumane. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Exodus 22 says this, If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Another verse similar to this is Deuteronomy 24. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. So according to Mosaic and rabbinical law, if you sued somebody or if you took their coat as a pledge... You had to return it by sundown because that was their sleeping bag. That was their blanket. That's what kept them warm at night. And to take that would be considered uh, inhumane. Now, we need to make, in order for us to understand what Jesus means by this, we need to make an assumption. And the reason we need to make an assumption is because the society we live in was very different from the society that they lived in. And here's the assumption that we need to make. When Jesus said, if someone sues you for your tunic, we need to make the assumption that the person suing you, you really do owe them a debt. And the reason I say we have to assume this, because we live in a culture where we'll sue anybody for anything at just about any time. We live in one of the most litigious cultures that's ever existed on this planet. But it wasn't that way back then. When you sued somebody or you took them to court back in that day, that was the last thing you did. It it was not a frivolous, they did not have frivolous lawsuits in that day the way that we have them uh, in our culture today. So we're assuming here that this is a real debt that one person owes to the other. And if you think about it that way, it makes a lot more sense. In fact, let's go back to Matthew 5.40, and we can see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic. In other words, that's what you owe. He's not just taking your tunic for no reason. You owe that. You don't have any other thing to pay with. You owe him, and you pay him with that tunic. Let him have your cloak as well, even though he doesn't have a right to that. Does everybody see that? In other words, he's got your tunic. You owe him that. And Jesus says, go ahead and let him have your coat, even though it's your right not to let him have it. So Jesus is saying, very simplistically, when we owe a debt, we should be willing to pay more, even though it's not, it is within our rights not to do so. Everybody see that? Now, you may think, okay... You know, I haven't been, I've never been sued. I hope I'm never going to be sued. Does this, does this have anything to do with me? Well, let's think about some other situations where you owe a debt and maybe Jesus wants you to go a little bit further. For example, how about tipping? How about when you go into a restaurant and tipping the required is 15% or that's appropriate? How about you do 30? You don't have to. You're not required to. But Jesus said, go the extra. Give them your cloak also. How about, how about you stop up there in Crawfordville with that old fellow that fixes the tires? And he goes in and plugs your tire for you, and you say, how much do you owe? And he says, 10 bucks, and you give him 20. How about that? Now, some of you are looking at me right now like a cow looks at a new gate. 
Y'all ever seen a cow look? Yeah, you go out in a field. I, I saw a thing the other day. They went out in a cow pasture and just set a briefcase down. And them cows just came and they just stood there and looked at it. That's how you're looking at me. Why in the world would I ever pay anybody 20 when I only owe them 10? Why would I ever tip somebody 30% or 40% when I can, all the, all the appropriate thing would be 15? Why would I ever do that? Does that, for many of us, just those words sound strange. In fact, the words of Jesus sound strange, don't they? Somebody sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak. Why would I do that? But see, I if you really think about it, the words of Jesus should not sound strange, and the words coming out of my mouth shouldn't sound strange, because that attitude toward money is taught all throughout the Bible. Psalms 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's, say it with me, everything in it. The clothes on your back belong to Him. The money in your bank account belongs to Him. The food in your refrigerator belongs to Him. The car you drove to get here belongs to Him. It's all His. It's none of it's yours. Jesus said in Matthew 6, we'll get to this in a few weeks as part of the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Why would you lay up treasure you can never keep? You can't take it with you. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Moth can't get, the moths can't get to it, rust can't get to it, the thieves can't get to it. Lay it up where it counts. Lay it up where it's eternal. Paul said this in his letter to First Tim in Timothy. He said this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I could give you scripture after scripture after scripture. This idea, this attitude toward our money, it's not ours. We can't take it with us. We're just a steward. We're just borrowing it. Listen to Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who had endured great persecution for being believers. And he said this, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Can you imagine they joyfully accepted the government plundering their property? Why? Because they had an inheritance that the government couldn't touch. They had a lasting and abiding and better possession than anything. It's this attitude toward money. It's this attitude toward possessions that Jesus is talking about here. Let me ask you, look at those two Look at those two pictures. Which one best represents the Bible's teaching on money? Which one? Is it that one where you're holding on to that dollar and you're, this is mine, I'm, I, this is mine, I'm, I'm holding on to that, I earned this? Or is it that open hand, that generous, giving hand? Scripture after Scripture after Scripture teaches us what our attitude should be toward money. Several weeks ago, I was at the house... Grandkids were over, and, and uh, they were running around crazy. So we said, try to get them in there and, and put on a movie. So we put on Dennis the Menace, not the, not the black and white one that some of you grew up with. Not me, but I'm just saying some of y'all did. But the new one, you know, with, with Walter Matthau. And we were watching that, and there's a scene in that movie where um, it's Halloween. 
and all the neighborhood kids are trick-or-treating, and George is, is handing out candy, and he keeps noticing that these teenagers come up. And these teenagers are all dressed in these costumes just so they can get candy. And every time he, another teenager comes up, he just gets madder and madder and madder and madder. And finally, one of those teenagers came up, and he turns to Martha, and he said, if one more teenager comes in and gets my candy, I'm going to call the police on him, just going off like he always did. And she looked at him with this kind of bemused look, and she said, George, it's just candy. See, and I thought about that this week, how easily we become agitated over our rights over our possessions, over our money. Folks, it's just candy. It is of no eternal consequence at all. It doesn't belong to us. We're not going to take it with us. It's just candy. It's just temporary. Why do we hold on to it like it's the most important thing in the world? So what is Jesus teaching us here? The Pharisees saw an eye for an eye, a slap for a slap, $20 paid for $20 owed, no more. That's the way they looked at it. It's an eye for an eye, 20 for 20. I ain't giving you a penny over what I owe you. But see, as Christians, our standard's got to be higher. Except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's got to be something different about us. If we're walking through life holding on to that dollar bill, squeezing every ounce out of it we can, not let there's something wrong. See, our attitude toward our money shows who we are at our heart in our heart. Jesus said this about the Pharisees, or, or one of the, the uh, uh, writers of the gospel says, "For the Pharisees loved money; they loved it, man. Do we love it more than we love Him?" Psalms 37. I was reading this week. And I, I guess I'd never noticed this before. Here's a scripture that probably we've all heard quoted in our life. David said this, I was young, now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Y'all have all heard that, right? That's a great. And he's, he's describing the righteous. Do you know what the very next line says? They, the righteous, are always generous and lending freely. They're not holding on to it tightly. That's what Pharisees do. The righteous, those who are born again, those who are regenerated, those who have the Spirit of God inside of them, they're generous. They've got an open hand. They're willing to pay more than they owe. Why? Well, just because God's got their back. they got a rich daddy, and they know it. So what are you going to do with your cloak? That's the question. That you owe somebody your tunic, by the way, that's a given. You owe that debt. You pay that, you pay what you owe, that doesn't reveal your character, doesn't... Everybody, everybody does that for the most part. But what you do with the cloak is a choice that will show who you really and truly are. You see, when it comes to personal possessions, as Christians, we should be generous with them. The first one, by the way, was about personal dignity. When somebody affronts your personal dignity, let it go. This is about your personal possessions. How do you view those in light of the kingdom of God? We're generous with them because we understand we've got a better inheritance than that. See, this again is what kingdom citizens do. We forego what is ours 
in order to love God and others more than ourselves. All right, let's turn to illustration number three, verse 41. Jesus said, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, once again, this is a very culturally specific example. The word here for forces is the word agaruo. Now, agaruo is a very interesting word. It means to press or compel someone into service. And the word goes all the way back to the Persian Empire. And it's related to a Persian word called agaros, which means courier. Now, if you're familiar at all with, with the, the history of Israel, I'm sure many of you will know that in 586 B.C., uh, the Babylonians, uh, with a, by a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, you might have heard of him, uh, they came and they, they raided Israel and they took all the people uh, back to Babylon for the most part and they burned the city down and, you know, burned the temple, burned the walls, did the whole nine yards. And um, so the Babylonians were the, the, the big boy in town for a while. And then this other group came in called the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonian Empire, and then they were the, uh, the big dog for a while, until this guy around 300, 330 B.C. by the name of Alexander the Great came along, and the Greeks wiped out the Persians. And then they became the big dog for a while until the Romans came. So you had the Babylonians, the Persians, the uh, Greeks, and then the uh, Romans. And if you go all the way back to the Persians, they had a particular... Uh, custom that they did in that day. And, it, and understanding this is going to tell us a story. And, and in fact, the, 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 that one word, if you just follow it back to the Persian Empire, tells a story that's entirely lost on, on most of us modern English readers. You see, in that day in the Persian Empire, what the king would do is he'd set up what's called post stations or, or think of it like post offices today. Like we have a post office in towns and counties. He would have post offices all throughout these different nations. And in these post stations, they were called, they'd have couriers and they'd have horses. And the idea was whenever he needed to deliver a message, he would send it and this, post, this guy would take it to this post station and then they, this guy would get on a horse and he'd go to the next post station and that way he could get his messages out very quickly. So think about uh, Pony Express, right, back in, the, uh, back in the Wild West. It was something very similar uh, to that. But they had this custom because sometimes what would happen is a message would come into the post station, and for whatever reason there would be no messenger or no horse. So what would they do? Well, think about this. You're walking along the road one day. You're minding your own business. You're going to a, maybe you got some business over in another town. And you pass by one of these post stations. And this government official comes running out and says, the king needs you to take this message to the next post station. So he could force you or compel you as just a normal citizen to become a courier. And you would have to take that to the next place in line. Didn't matter if, uh, if you're, you had a big business meeting. Didn't matter if you were going to your father's funeral. Didn't matter where you were going. When they decided you, it was time for you to take that message, you absolutely had to do it. In fact, to refuse it was an unpardonable, unpardonable offense against the king. So whether you wanted to take that message to the next post station or not, you didn't have any choice. You stopped what you were doing, you took that message, and you went to the next post station. 
Now, this Persian custom got passed down to the Greeks, and the Greeks passed it down to the Roman Empire. So when you came to Jesus' day, Roman soldiers could legally stop an ordinary civilian or an ordinary citizen and make them carry their burden up to one mile, but no further. So you're just walking along one day, and, you know, you're minding your own business, and a Roman soldier comes up and says, hey... Um, I need you to carry this for me. And he could make you carry it for one mile. Now, at the end of a mile, you were done. That's all he could legally do. In fact, if you go read this verse in the New Living Translation, this is actually how they, they translate it. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. And we've actually got an example of this uh, using the exact same word in the Bible, Matthew 27. As they were going out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced to carry his cross. Here's old Simon, right? You know, he's just walking along one day. He sees a big commotion. He sees this poor guy carrying a cross, bleeding and falling and stumbling. And the Roman soldier says, hey, pick that up and carry it. He has no choice. He has to take that cross and carry it up to one mile. That's the word that's used there, agrario comes from that Persian word. Now, you can imagine, right, the Jews hated this. I mean, they hated, they hated the Romans. But in their mind, the Romans didn't even have the right to compel them to go one mile, much less two. They hated it. They could just, again, they could just be going about their business and any soldier could stop them and say, carry my armor or carry this uh, water or carry whatever, and you, you had no choice. You had to do it up to one mile. So the interesting thing here is Jesus is choosing something that is particularly despicable to his audience. He's standing there on that mountain that day, and all those people who are listening to him are Jews. And he picks one thing that they hate with everything in them, and that is being compelled by a Roman to go one mile. They don't even want to do that at the minimum. And Jesus said, go past that. Out of your own heart, with a right attitude, not begrudgingly, but go beyond one and go the second mile. Now, you may say, well, what does that have to do with us in 2023? Right? We're not, you know, I'm not, if I get out tonight and I'm going home, I'm not going to be stopped by a police officer. And he says, hey, I need you to, you know, go back up to Crawfordville and pick up a package. They're not going to do anything like that. But there are certainly impositions that the government can put on us, right? Um, in fact, 2,000 years later, that expression still means what it did 2,000 years ago, doesn't it? What do we say? Go the extra mile. What does that mean? Go beyond what's required of you. You go the mile, you're required to do it. Go the extra mile means we still say that today. Go the extra mile. Again, so we understand it very clearly what it means, but sometimes we have a little bit of trouble, you know, where does this actually fit in? Um, we can certainly still apply this to government impositions. Um, I was watching a video the other day, and this came to my mind. I guess there's a group of people out there that when they get stopped at like a sobriety checkpoint, uh, in their mind, the government has no right to stop you at a sobriety checkpoint. You, you've not been suspected of a crime, right? They're just stopping everybody, and they're asking you questions. 
What's your name? Do you have ID? Where are you coming from? Anybody, you all have been there, right? Well, there's a group of people now that when they get stopped, they won't roll their window down. And they just hold, they put a piece of paper up there that says, you have no right to stop me. You have no right to ask me questions. And they just basically wait for something to happen. I mean, it's kind of tense, you know. I mean, is that, you know, they're trying to just roll your window down. Man, I just want to talk to you. I want to smell of alcohol, you know. And these guys won't do it. And it, it, and it really, it's kind of this really tense situation. And Jesus would be saying, look, you know, go the mile. Even go more than that. Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> you know, be nice to them. So certainly, I think we could apply this to certain situations. But I think more commonly, something like this happens to us all the time. And I think you're going to know what I mean. You ever get up on a Saturday sometime, man, and you got your day planned out? You, you, you're not expecting anybody, you know, nobody's going to bother you. you. You just got your whole day planned out, and then that call comes, right? Somebody imposes. Can you help over here? Can you watch this kid? Can you do this? And it, you're just like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. And for whatever reason, you can't say no. Maybe it's family Maybe some other reason, but you can't say no. You're compelled to go the mile, if you will. So what is Jesus teaching us about situations like that? Well, let's go back to the Pharisees. They saw it as an eye for an eye, a slap for a slap. $20 paid for $20 owed. Perform only what you're required and no more. Don't you? I would, a Pharisee wouldn't think about going even an inch over the mile because he hated it that bad. And Jesus takes that and says, go more, do more, go another mile. You see, as Christians, our standard of righteousness, our standard of what the right thing is in our life has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So when we're compelled to go the second mile, we have a choice, right? As I said, you're required to go the first mile. Everybody has to do that. You don't really have a choice for whatever reason. That doesn't reveal your character in any way. What reveals your character is what you've done with the second mile. You see, on the first mile, you've done your duty. You've done what anybody else would do. You've done what you were required to perform. But what are you going to do with the second mile? It's that choice that shows who you really are. So when it comes to our personal dignity, don't strike back. When it comes to our personal possessions, be generous. And when it comes to our personal time, we should be generous as they are going beyond what is expected of us. This is what kingdom citizens do. This is what Jesus is teaching us. We forego what is ours, our possessions, our time, our dignity. We forego that in order to love God and others more than ourselves. Now... We're not going to get to the third one tonight because I just didn't have time, um, which is the one about borrowing. By the way, if you read those four illustrations, doesn't the one about borrowing seem out of place? If you just go back and read, it just seems odd. It just seems out of place. And I'll show you next week uh, why it's not out of place at all. But I want to stop here before we go any further and just ask a question. And that is, are you seeing a common theme with these three illustra- uh, illustrations. You see, legally, by law, you have a right to a slap for a slap. You have a right not to give up your coat. 
You have a right not to go the second mile. All those things are your rights. And we live in a day and age, man, where I hear it all the time. I know my rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. It's all about me, 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 me. And see, what Jesus is teaching us, and it's, it should be coming more and more clear as we move through this, is, no, son, it ain't about you. It's not about you. You should be willing to give up those rights because there's a bigger purpose and a bigger plan. One would be to win that person. Show, some, show them how you're different. Show them, show them that I live inside of you. Don't be normal. And glorify Jesus. Be like Jesus. We said it last week. Uh, being a Christian is not about following rules. It's about following a man. Right? It's not about uh, a code of ethics. It's about becoming like a person. Jesus Christ. Who gave up his rights, didn't he? Who gave up all of that in order to love and to win people. In order to, to for you and I. I mean, we're here because he gave up his own rights. And he's asking us to do the same. You see, he wants us to respond to others in such a way that reflects our trust in him and our commitment to heaven's values, not our own. We can sit here all day and, I, and say, I got a right by the law, I can do this, and by the law, I can do that, and by the law, I can do this. Folks, listen to me. There is a law that we're under, but it's a much greater law than anything uh, like that. Romans 13, 8-13 says this, Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love is fulfillment of the law. So we're going to see that, by the way, when we get to the seventh, I'm sorry, the sixth illustration is all about love. It's all about love. It's what he's been building to all along. He's trying to show us that when you come into these situations, whether it's somebody insulting you or whether you owe a debt to somebody or, or whatever the situation may be, what is the loving thing to do? Not what is the legal thing to do. What, what can I do to show this person the love of Christ? If it's paying 20 bucks for a $10 tire fix, saying, God bless you, that, you just don't know what little things like that can do. Especially when all the other customers that guy's come in and had that day, not a one of them paid him an extra penny. But you did. And he thinks, what's different about him? What's different about her? Are we going to be kingdom citizens or are we just going to be normal? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word as we always do. Uh, God, I know that I've often thought about that this week, that 2,000 years ago you sat on that mountainside and you said these words. And here we are, these two millennia later, and they still ring so true to the heart of a Christian. They, 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 they dig so deep into the heart of a Christian. They convict the heart of a Christian. Father, I pray tonight that it will do that very thing. That if there are, for those here that know you, for those here that are indwelt by your spirit, for those of you that have the character, for those that, that have the character of a Christian, I pray that this night something about this word will make a difference. Something about this word will just drive home one more time as, as our time here on this earth grows shorter and shorter and shorter. It's all just candy. 
it's just candy. We can't take it with us. It ha- it's just temporary. God, help us use our lives, our possessions, our time for the furtherance of your kingdom. That's the only thing that matters. Help us to see that, Holy Spirit, in a way that maybe we haven't seen it before or heard it before or known it before. Let us, to the very deepest part of who we are, understand that we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of another kingdom, that we have a home someplace else. It's lasting, and the, and the inheritance that's waiting for us there, man, eyes has not seen, ear has not even heard. We can't even imagine what you've got for us there. But what we will know and what we do know is it is far, far, far greater than anything we have here. Help us to live like that. Help us to think like that. Help us to walk like that. And more importantly, help us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.